Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Tyson Bibb. A special warm welcome to anyone who's joining us this morning as a guest, either here or on the live screen. It's a joy to gather this day around Christ's Word and Sacrament on this second Sunday after the Epiphany. And so we continue through this Epiphany season where Jesus manifests or reveals His glory, that He is God in the flesh, our Savior from sin, death, and Satan. So I'll turn your attention now then to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin as we have that focused on Christ section, a summary of today's scripture readings. The coming of the Messiah, or the Messianic kingdom, means the restoration of creation. The sign of this restoration is that the mountain shall drip sweet wine. When the elements of a fallen creation fail and run short at a wedding feast, our Lord Jesus steps in to restore creation and miraculously changes water into an abundance of the very best wine. With this sign, Christ manifests his glory. The back of God is revealed to those who believe, and the hour will come when Jesus will again manifest his glory by taking creation's curse into his own body to release us from its power. The bridegroom will give his life for the bride, and from his side will flow water and blood, the holy sacraments by which she is cleansed and made one with him. Through this sacrificial love of Christ, we are enabled to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. We do have great joy of receiving the Lord's body and blood this day, and so therefore we do ask in keeping with his word and institution that all those attending the Lord's Supper be either a member of this congregation or of a member congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, so that we are one in confession as our Lord calls us to be at his table. Our service setting this day is divine service setting three as it begins on page 184. We now sing the first hymn. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after the Epiphany is from Exodus chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people." And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, The very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before, proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, 
but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel is from St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon text is from St. John's Gospel, chapter 2. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus reveals his divine power and his glory at times of his choosing for our benefit. This is what the season of Epiphany is all about. Jesus is revealed as the Son of God, God in flesh made manifest. He is the world's only savior from sin, death, and from the power of the devil. However, when he reveals his glory, it's not necessarily what we'd expect or even how we would expect. We saw this some last week as Jesus stands with sinners in the river to be baptized by John. He takes upon himself the yoke of our sin so that he might carry it to the cross to be crucified for our salvation. And so today we also must consider this miracle. St. John calls it the primary or chief miracle or sign of Jesus. 
He attends a wedding feast and turns water into wine. Now I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and say that, well, that's not what you would expect as the, the first sign, the primary chief sign that Jesus would perform to manifest his glory. Well, in fact, many people over the centuries, they've thought rather lowly of this uh, miracle, considering it a party trick compared to Jesus' other miracles. However, as we examine this divine sign today, we'll see Jesus' glory revealed and his overflowing grace shown to unworthy sinners like you and like me. To behold this miracle properly is to see Christ manifest his glory, as St. John writes. Therefore, let's dig in, shall we? Now, St. John begins by saying, On the third day there was a wedding feast at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now, these words on the third day, they should, of course, bring to mind the ultimate event which occurs on the third day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's no accident here. And we're going to return to this fact later, but for now, we'll continue on in the text. We see that Mary is not only present at the wedding feast, but she's serving, she's helping out, which suggests there's some kind of connection to her and the wedded couple or the families there present. Jesus and his disciples, they're also invited, they're present there. And according to Jewish custom, a wedding feast would have lasted seven days. It seems that the celebration is going well, everything's good, until the wine runs out. Now, we might think, well, you know, that's a little bit of a thing. They probably should have caught that. But this is actually a huge embarrassment for the couple. You don't want to run out of wine at a wedding, especially when you have lots of guests and days of celebrating ahead of you. You know, people really aren't all that different now than they were in Jesus' time. And it's very likely that they would have left the celebration very unhappy without the customary celebratory wine. Also remember that water is not necessarily as, um, well, purified as it was, uh, as it is today at that time. And so then alcoholic beverage was very common. It was something healthy. You knew it was safe and reliable even preferred oftentimes to drinking water. So then what happens next? Well, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, this exchange between Mary and Jesus probably sounds short, terse, maybe even a little cold to our ears, but... You see, Mary knows who Jesus is, which is why she brings the issue to him. However, it's Jesus' way of addressing Mary. That's what really gets our attention here. He calls her woman and not mother. Now, bear in mind, Jesus is not two years old toddling around the house, nor is he 12 years old being submissive and going back with Mary and Joseph after being in the temple three days. No, he's 30 now. Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan. He's been cast out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and has overcome them. Jesus is calling his first disciples. You see, the relationship between Jesus and Mary has changed. Though Jesus is Mary's son by flesh, God the Father has declared him to be his beloved son at his baptism. And John the Baptist has proclaimed him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words... Things are not the way they once were. He's still his son, her son, but it's different. 
Notice also that Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now this is where some clarification helps because in the Greek it says, what is that to you and me? In other words, Jesus tells Mary, there's nothing here that concerns you as much as it concerns me. Well, our Lord is not being rude, but it is in fact a mild rebuke of Mary. He is clearly and pointedly saying, this is mine to deal with. Now, when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, he's ultimately referring to the cross, the hour when his glory is revealed in all of its fullness, when he draws all men to himself as he's lifted up on the cross as the serpent was in the wilderness. It is when Jesus is crucified and lifted up that his glory is most clearly seen. Now, notice that Mary, she not only accepts this mild rebuke, but she responds with words of faith. She tells the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Mary trusts Jesus will do what is best, even though she has no idea what that might be. Whatever he tells you, do it. It doesn't matter if it sounds foolish or unwise to you, do it. It doesn't matter whether you understand it or not, do it. God grant that we would hear and believe his word as Mary did. When the Lord's word is spoken to us, be it rebuke, exhortation, correction, encouragement, or absolution, we ought to be like St. Mary and simply speak, Amen knowing that whatever our Lord speaks to us is for our benefit according to his good and his loving will. So then, what happens next? Well, St. Johnny gives us a little historical detail and some additional context here. He says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, these jars were there for the people to wash their hands in according to the teaching of the rabbis at the time. The motivation for this hand washing, yes, it has its roots in the law of Moses and God's law. However, what was taking place at this wedding was a man-made add-on to God's law. It was something that was taught by the rabbis. Well, suffice to say, there was between 120 and 180 gallons of water present in these jars. And since you already know the rest of the account, well, that makes for a whole lot of wine. An almost incomprehensible abundance of wine. It's far more than any wedding celebration could handle, let alone appreciate. I mean, even if the people were consuming far beyond what they would or should or could, this was a quantity and a quality of wine that is exceedingly gracious. So we continue. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. Unbeknownst to everyone but Mary and those wedding servants, Jesus blesses this couple and everyone there gathered with a superabundance of his grace, of his goodness. This is a true blessing. You see, to sinners who don't deserve his grace, his mercy, or even his presence among us, Jesus gives us all these things. Now think about it. This wine is from the hand of God. It is fine. It is exquisite. It's beyond luxurious. It is given in overwhelming abundance. And so such is the grace Jesus gives us in his death and resurrection. You don't deserve this grace, just as the folks at the wedding did not deserve that wine, yet God gives it to sinners anyway. 
God's grace has nothing to do with your worthiness and everything to do with who he is. In Christ, we see the undeserved kindness and love of God towards sinners as Jesus pours out his life on the cross for our salvation. Hence why this is the chief or primary sign and miracle of Christ. It pictures the grace which God in Christ pours forth for lowly, undeserving sinners like you and like me, indeed for the whole world. It is a cup running over grace that, like the wine at Cana, surpasses our ability to comprehend both its quality and its quantity. Now, many scoff at this miracle, just as the master of the feast did, and it's important that we hear his voice correctly here. Notice that the master of the feast is not just shocked at the miracle, he's actually agitated, he's angry at the bridegroom. Why? Well, he claims then that this finest of wines is wasted on these people because they have drunk freely, as the text says. Well, the Greek is a little more straightforward and less Victorian. It says they're intoxicated. The people were drunk. In other words, the master of the feast rebukes the bridegroom for how frivolous and outrageous this act of generosity is. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not, with this miracle, permitting a life of drunkenness. Rather, this miracle shows forth the gift of God's overflowing grace towards sinners who honestly don't know what to do with God's gifts and at times will abuse them. Dear saints, if we're not careful, we too can treat Jesus the same way as the master of the feast did the bridegroom. Jesus Christ, who is the bridegroom of his holy church, is incredibly gracious with his forgiveness. In fact, the grace and mercy of God in Christ can be scandalous to us. Christ Jesus was crucified for all sinners, including murderers, rapists, idolaters, liars, pornographers, drug dealers, human traffickers, liberals and conservatives alike, adulterers, and the list goes on and on. He died for sinners like you, like me, King David, King Herod, all of them. Christ said on the cross, to tell us die. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is fulfilled. Therefore, all who repent of their sins and cling to Christ in God-given faith are given what he purchased and accomplished with the shedding of his blood. Full remission of sins and reconciliation with God the Father. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross has in baptismal waters washed you clean of your sin and of your shame. All who cling to Jesus in repentant faith are forgiven their sins, innocent before God the Father. This is more grace than we can imagine. This is more grace than we know what to do with. Our cup of blessing runs over. It overflows just as it did for those wedding guests in Cana. Jesus is not the Savior we expect. He is the Savior we need. The Lord changes water into wine. He reveals his glory, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe in him. Now, before I conclude, I want to briefly point you back to St. John's mentioning of these events happening on the third day. Having meditated on Christ's first sign, St. John, he wants us to see the connection of this miracle to the overflowing joy of Easter. Ultimately, it is on the third day of Easter that we witness the fruition of what this water-to-wine miracle points to. Like a dam bursting under an overwhelming volume and mass of water that it can no longer hold, so the dark tomb of death, it bursts forth before the Lord of life. Death is overcome by life. Darkness is overcome by light. In the resurrection of Christ, creation is restored. The eternal eighth day is begun by he who is the firstfruits from the dead. Our risen Lord treads the way to the wedding hall of paradise with pierced and risen feet. 
He welcomes all his baptized saints, his resplendent church, to join him in the joy of a wedding feast that has no end. The fruition of Christ's superabundant and overflowing grace, well, it is seen by you this day as he welcomes you to his table. What is today a foretaste will at his glorious return be a never-ending banquet of joy. So, come. Come, all you baptized who purely confess his word. Come, take, eat Christ's body. Take, drink his blood. For this bread and wine are not mere symbols of a meal long past, nor do you ascend to the heavens to receive that which is only spiritual. For Christ, your bridegroom, he comes to you with his grace, in his flesh, in his blood, for your salvation. And so then, dear saints, receive his resurrected flesh and blood for your forgiveness, consolation, strengthening of faith, and for peace. Just as at Cana, he comes to you this day to overflow your cup with the joy and the gladness of his undeserved grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord, you manifested your glory in the sign at Cana. As you restored creation through the shedding of Christ's blood, pour out your grace in abundance. Give us joy and gladness in the revelation of your truth in the person of your Son. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, preserve your Son's bride, the Church. Make it her constant joy and delight to preach the good news of forgiveness and her Savior to poor sinners. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, you blessed the wedding at Cana with your presence and honored it with your first miracle. Strengthen and give your gladness to all married couples and their families. Be present in our homes and lives with your free and abundant forgiveness and preserve us in the true faith from each generation to the next. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, you rule this world by your power. Give to our civil servants respect and recognition of your creation and its nature. When they use the authority given them from above, let it be in accord with your good design for our world and not the corruption of sin which they are to rebuke for the good of their citizens. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, we bring before you the sick, distressed, and needy, especially Ron Gibson, Bob Rash, Chuck Ligdy, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips. Give your abiding comfort in every circumstance that in Christ we shall not die, but live and declare his works. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, as you manifested yourself by the sign at Cana, transforming water into wine, so manifest yourself to us here by giving us your very body and blood in and under bread and wine for the forgiveness of our sins and make us fit partakers in repentance and faith. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that of your grace you have instituted holy matrimony in which you keep us from unchastity and other offenses. We implore you, send your blessing on every husband and wife. Do not let them provoke one another to anger and strife, but let them live peaceably together in love and godliness. Strengthen them with your gracious help in all temptations and help them to rear their children in accordance with your will. Grant us all to walk before you in purity and holiness, putting our trust in you and leading such lives on earth that in the world to come we may have everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
It's a joy to be with you here on this Lord's Day, hearing His Word and receiving His gifts. And as we continue this morning, of course, we have Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. Uh, tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., we'll continue our Esther Bible study as we are studying the book of Isaiah. And then this coming Wednesday, midweek school and confirmation at 3.30, followed by workout class at 6 p.m. Uh, and a word of thanks for all those who uh, uh, were able and willing to give to that disaster relief door offering. Uh, please know that that does go immediately to the folks affected by um, the, disaster or the disasters that were um, brought about by a tornado and storm uh, in those, those southern states, including our own in the, in the southern, southern part of our own state. Uh, Theology on Tap, save the date. It's back for January. Women's Theology on Tap will meet January 25th and uh, continue with Chapter 6 of our book. Men's Theology on Tap will meet the 27th, that's a Thursday, at 7 p.m. And we'll be studying the Fifth Commandment then in Luther's Large Catechism. Uh, I've also been in touch with uh, Shane Smithson, the gentleman who is to come and give a presentation. He's uh, well again, and he'll be joining us on the 30th. That's the last Sunday of this month. And his presentation will begin promptly at 11, immediately following Bible study. So please join us for that. Uh, anything that I may have missed here? Uh, do see the blue insert that we have here from uh, Trinity Lutheran and Alma as they have an event coming up uh, to support their early childhood center. And they do request an RSVP, so if you are interested, see the details of that bulletin insert there. With that being said, we'll go in the piece of Christ's overflowing abundance of grace given to us uh, in his word and sacrament. I'll greet you at the door.